The more money you make, the more positive change you can make in the world. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Reagan, and you've discovered Unicorns Unite. This is a podcast for freelancers, service providers, virtual assistants, and curious listeners who would like to experience the freedom and flexibility of working virtually. We're the magic makers, movers and shakers, and the real people doing the work behind the scenes of online businesses. Welcome to Unicorns Unite. Hey, this episode is sponsored by my very own digital marketers workgroup. Yeah, I can sponsor myself. Get your applications in our exclusive membership that gives you training, support, and the job opportunities you need to build experience and command premium rates as a service provider is opening soon. The end of March, beginning of April, the Digital Marketers Workgroup will open to new members. Now, here's the thing. You need to be solid in your services. You need to have a pricing guide, a website, a portfolio, something that sells your services, and you need to be confident that you could get the client because this is not a course. This is a community. Every month we have advanced trainings. We help each other with feedback, support. We help you with troubleshooting, but we're really there to encourage and refer each other. The link to apply is in the show notes. We only open a few times a year. Right now, the cost is $47 a month, well worth one hour of client work a month. You can do this. I'll see you inside. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Emily Reagan, a fellow freelancer. Today on the podcast, I want to set the ground for understanding business finances. I have a special guest in the house to clear things up and help you get started on the right path when it comes to your independent contractor business. Now, here's a couple things I want you to know. One, it is so easy to get stuck sweating the small stuff that it creates this paralysis where you don't want to move forward, where you're hesitant, where you're overthinking everything. And I really hope today's podcast can show you that just getting started and doing some basic things with your finances will set you up for success. Number two, we're going to have a part two to this episode. And next week, we're going to talk about some of the expenses and write-offs and how to organize for bookkeeping and thus your taxes in the next episode with my friend Serena. Both of these women are amazing CFOs. I am so honored to have them on the show talking about money and finance. And I'm doing this because I want you to go in strong when it comes to knowing your numbers, knowing what you need to charge, your minimal acceptable rate for showing up in someone's business and giving them your brain. Because you always have the option of becoming an employee. And so you should be doing this work, A, because it gives you the flexibility and freedom you desire, but it should also be making you decent money for when you do turn on your brain. Okay, so what are we talking about with Pam? First, let me introduce Pam Pryor. We met a few years ago in the online space, and she is so fun, such a good people connector. I encourage you to check out some of her resources, including the pricing calculator that she's going to talk about, but she also has a Facebook group. Anytime you can join a Facebook group, service providers, and you network, and you be very outgoing and lead with how you can help, you are going to find clients. So definitely get in Pam's world and meet some of her fellow entrepreneurs that she is working with. Okay, here is my official bio. I'm going to be lazy and read this one. A brilliant down-to-earth finance wrangler who guides you on the path to confident control of your money, mindset, and business cash flow. Pam Pryor knows what you need to understand, and she cuts out the rest. 
She helps you understand your numbers and how they shape your business. She meets you where you are and takes you where you want to go with no unnecessary, complicated terminology or lingo. And that's what we're doing today. Breaking it down, explaining the importance of paying attention to finances in your service-based business. And the reality is your clients need to be doing this too. It's always so, so meta. So these are finance strategies for freelancers. Make sure you go grab her calculator and let's jump into the episode. Hey, Pam, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. You and I have known each other a little bit in the online space, and I am ready to talk about money and finances going into 2024. Tell everyone hello, a little bit about you, what got you here, all the details. Hi, I am Pam Pryor. Emily, it's so good to be with you. We are perfect examples of the fact that real relationships can be made and developed in the online world and that there are a lot of us out there trying to do things the same way. And I'm just so blessed that you and I are in each other's circles that I appreciate this opportunity to maybe give your audience a little bit of something about finance to make 2024 a money year for them. I'm really honored to do that. So very short version. I worked in corporate for 30 years as an accountant, controller, then CFO. Ended up leaving that and I had a great career, loved every minute of it. When I was done, I was done. And when I left, I came out like, I want, I want to share kind of a, a aha moment for me as an entrepreneur. It's sort of, I guess you'd call it a pivot story. I came out of corporate going, man, I aced corporate. You know, I always got the best ratings. I always got the first promotion. I got any job I went for. That's not quite true. There were always exceptions, but in my head, I was awesome. I thought, oh, well, I'll knock this entrepreneur thing out piece of cake. So, you know, it's July. I've got money to get me through till December. I'll be making more than I made in corporate by then. Piece of cake. Cocky little cuss at the ripe old age of 55 and jumped out and did all the stuff I knew how to do, which is not the stuff you need to do for entrepreneurship. All I could have done if I didn't pivot was sell my time for money as a consultant. And that was a huge aha for me was exchange time for money. And I was getting burnt out. I was still making the same rates even better, but I was getting burnt out. So I had to decide, is this really what I want to do? Is this what I left corporate to do? And realized, you know, no, I'm a finance person. I want to leverage everything, including my time, leverage my money, my time, my energy, all of that stuff. And quickly pivoted to building the business that, you know, we now have today. And it took me two and a half years to be profitable or to break even. Oh, thanks for sharing. So what I'll say is all that cockiness served me not at all. And what changed things for me was meeting person after person like you, was following this relationship map I was blessed to have. Like, it's like, I feel like I was mining for gold and I kept hitting all the bad rock at first. And then we met the first really cool person. And then the second and then the third. And then that started to fan out. And there's this underground network of you know thousands of us now who know each other yeah and you know want to lift the tide for everybody so i i love what you do i love your podcast and i'm just thrilled to be part of it that was a rambly so sorry <laughs> no don't be i i so want to be ourselves here and i'm not always the hostess with the mostest i'm like the hostess with the babbles but okay i just have to hit that home I have been a military spouse. I have been starting over every one, two, three years with like community that doesn't know who the F I am, like trying to apply for jobs. Nobody knows who I am. And so I really understand how hard it is to plug yourself in, but it's so crucial for your survival. But business is the same. But the cool thing, this online space, 
really is so small. And you just said it. It was like one gold vein, another gold vein, and that's all it takes. And even for service providers, it takes one good client and like doors open. So I love that you shared that story. It's funny. We have a little more in common than I realized it. And I did remember you were a military wife, but I totally didn't make this connection till just now. It's probably the same reason that I was able to adapt as well. As a kid, my dad worked for corporate America and we lived overseas. And this was before emails and letters were, you know, in those light airmail envelopes that that took five days to get across the ocean. And that was fast because they went by plane. I had to move and go to completely different communities and cultures, South America, then Germany, then New York. And they were all very different. And you adapt. And the thing that really struck me that just now, as you said that, is when you first get someplace, there's this group of folks you meet. And generally, they're not going to be your people. Then you meet like this one like oddball person. And that's what sparks kind of the whole real life that you end up having in that community. And that's what's happened to me over and over and over again in new jobs and new cities and all of that. And I think it started when I was six. Wow. Yeah. I always call that first round of friends, not like to be disrespectful, but they're like the temporary friends, but they help you meet the person that fellow misfit they help you meet that person that you're like meant to be with, right? So they serve their purpose. And we, you know, don't have to be like best buds with everybody. But <laughs> it's not that they're not nice. It's not that I didn't remain friends with them, but they weren't my people necessarily. Yeah. As you kind of start to show your true colors. And I think that's the same in entrepreneurship. Your people emerge when you show your true colors. That's why I went from green to red for my colors, even though everybody said, you do money, you can't do red. I listened to him for three years. Oh. After that, I finally let go and said, the heck with that. Look, I either walk into a room and command the dickens out of it, or I trip in and fall flat on my face. That is red, not green. So we changed them and it's, it's who I am. So I think we all kind of forget that every now and then. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. So what does your business look like now? Like how is it set up? Behind red, black. And what we do is our whole mission is we're going to do a couple things. We are going to hold you with complete non-judgmental care about your finances, which is one of those things that is so personal and everybody has so much shame about it. And everybody truly thinks their money story is the worst one. And it never is. It just isn't. So we, we build an environment where people feel safe to open up about their finances. And then we give them Here's how you can now move past that, both the mindset and the technical tools or the bookkeeping or the CFO work or whatever the certain combination of things is that they need our company with the people in it. We put together the right group. I always take the lead on that to say, hey, here's what this person needs. And then in the background is a little bit of hard ass Pam, who's like, if these are your goals, you need to recognize the person that has those goals is different from the person who's running your business now. And kind of an example of that is a lot of us start out just running our business out of the checkbook. And at the end of the year, we sort of throw things together for the accountant for tax purposes, if we even remember to do that. And again, there's no judgment here. This is just the way it happens. But one of the things we tell people right out of the gate is, is this a business for you? Okay. If it's a business, we're going to stop treating it like it's a hobby. The key is you, you do course, have to change yeah. who you are to, to pivot. I had to change who I was. I'm sure you've had to change not who you are as a person, but what you're doing and how you're doing it. You have to show up a little bit differently to reach that next goal. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, when I first started my business, it was accidental. I didn't huh. know things. And then I kind of came to this awareness like, oh, 
now I'm starting to make money. Now I'm really booking out. Like now I need to take it serious. But like I didn't have that vision. So I see this podcast as such a gift to be able to like jump like a few years ahead and go ahead and start treating like a business because that's what we're all doing. And yet it's kind of terrifying because I knew when I was leaving my corporate gig, like my my goal was not to be a business owner, an entrepreneur. Like that wasn't my dream. I kind of fell into it. So I think I've had some resistance like treating it that way. Got it. That is interesting because I was the opposite. I thought of myself as a business owner. Okay. I wasn't acting like one. I was acting like a consultant. They're really slightly different, right? But as a consultant, you know, you kind of take your money, you pay for the stuff you need, you find the expenses at the end of the year. You don't necessarily hire people. You don't think about delegating. Okay. And it's a different world. And and a lot of people say, hey, you know, I want to be a business owner. I want to own a business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, financially, there are some things you can do that really help you do that faster. And that's what we like to teach entrepreneurs in plain English, because there are way too many people out there, bookkeepers, accountants, CFOs, just talking in accounting Greek. Yeah. So it gets a little bit different here because the people listening to the podcast are kind of in that consultant role, right? Like are doing a lot of, you know, one-on-one work, but they're also creating awareness and it's very meta. You might turn around and do something more scalable, which is like my story, right? But we also have clients who are in this spot who are owning that role too. And so I just want you to clarify for a second, because I've I've heard people say it different ways, like creating a job for yourself, self-employed versus like the business owner you're talking about. Like, what is the difference? This is all opinion, right? There's not really a a definition in the dictionary, but I can tell you how it kind of worked for me. I realized that I still felt like an employee to my clients as a consultant. And once I own my own business, or once I changed my mindset to being a business owner, and it didn't change overnight, I was still doing consulting for clients, but it changed a lot of things. All of a sudden, I realized I don't have to accept every client. This is a business that I need to make profitable, but I can also make decisions that allow me to start to get the kind of clients that as a business owner, I'd want to have. And that I also started thinking about delegating. So I literally every day looked at my calendar, went down my list of things and started to highlight things that I didn't have to be the one to do. And I still do that exercise today. Every quarter, I follow my time in 15 minute increments for two weeks and identify in that process what things I should delegate, what things I should do more of, et cetera. And those two things, both a sense of not being an employee to others, but to yourself instead and really thinking about delegation in a whole new way that challenges your comfort zone mm-hmm. are the things I use to distinguish it. What I'd say about the financial stuff is for the only difference as you become a business and you start to pay others, the minute you start cutting checks to other people, the nature of your business changes from consultant to business owner kind of technically, because then you become responsible for things like IRS reporting. Should this person be an employee or is it okay as a contractor? you know, I've hired an agency. Do I have to do any of this financy stuff now? How do I count that expense? All those things start to come up once you really become beyond you just getting a check from somebody. Okay. Okay. And I have a lot of people, especially in my work group, positioning themselves to either have an agency 
or they might be looking at just subcontracting and really leveraging what they're good at and getting support in some of those like higher ticket offers. So that's where that like shift really comes in because you do have to pay attention to your numbers. Like you can't operate at a loss uh, like with this kind of model. Here's the scary thing. You can't operate at a loss and you find out way too late, right? Oh, yeah. Big thing that if I were being able to wish anything on entrepreneurs for 2024, like your audience, if you're listening to this, you could do me the biggest favor in the world, which will be the biggest favor to you. Decide that in 2024, a couple things. One is you're going to have a separate bank account for your business. And don't worry about the fact that sometimes you need to move money back and forth. That's okay. That can very easily be managed and kept track of, but it will change your psychology around your business. Set it up with a business account. So that's kind of thing number one I'd wish for. It changes how you start to think about things. You start to realize that there comes a point where you want this thing that has its separate checking account to pay you. And that sets us up for the things that are going to need to change as you become more profitable, whether you continue to be a consultant, a one-person consultant, or whether you're going to start hiring other people. So I really encourage you to set up your own bank account. If somebody said, what's thing number one, darn it, that would be it. And when you do that, they'll let you set up a credit card usually too, if you do it in the name of the business. Limit might be $500. Who cares? Start using it. Start getting some credit on your, uh, you know, credit going inside your business, however small it is. Mine started at, I think it was $750 when I first got it. I'm like, cool, I'll use it. And then the second thing would be, go ahead and get just some basic bookkeeping system. And the reason isn't necessarily that you need to have it right now to see things, but it'll pull everything in automatically and you can ignore it if you want to. But when you do decide you need to get stuff to your accountant or your bookkeeper, it'll all be set up for you. They just have to go in, press a couple buttons and boom, they'll have everything they need. And finally, from those two things, when you're ready and you will be ready if you stay in business more than three years, like Emily said, all of a sudden you're going to go, yikes, I'm making money. When you're ready, you'll be able to get some amazing information out of that system about whether you're profitable or not, what your cash flow is, how you can grow. Can you hire somebody? Do you need to raise your prices? Do you need to pay more for your consultants? Can you pay more? All those things, the answer to those questions are going to be in those books, in that bookkeeping system that you bothered to start whenever you actually pull that trigger. For me, man, make that a January 1, 2024 goal for you. I love that. So you're going to be proud of me because we teach that in the Unicorn Digital Marketing Assistant School. I'm like, get your separate checking. I actually didn't teach them about the business card. So I'm glad that you brought that up because it's always good to establish good credit. Can I tell you the mistake I made? I opened up my accounts with a bank that doesn't want you to do business. (laughs) I didn't look at, I didn't know. I didn't know the terms. And so I was kind of running it through that. I'm all squared away now. So you'll be proud of me. But I was using USAA. I'll just like call them out here. And they're like, oh, you're not supposed to be doing this for business. I'm like, I've only been doing it for like five years now. Okay. So. And to be honest, that's not a big deal. One of the things I tell people, they'll say, I don't have a business name to open a business account. Oh, okay. That's okay. If you have two personal accounts or open a second personal account, as long as you're in your mind, you're keeping it separate. Mm -hmm. Then it's. Actual business account won't matter until you get down the road and decide it's time to file as an S-corp or all these other things that the tax people do for you. But all that time, you'll know it. And that's what I say. Even if you have a separate personal credit card, use that. But 
keep it separate. Don't like blend everything on the one credit card because you, you lose track of it as the business. You don't want to be commingling. So just separate until you can figure out some of those big dominoes. Awesome. I love that tip. So what would you say to somebody who is like the Emily or the service provider who's been doing it a couple years now and it's time to face the numbers? Like I know so many of us avoid it, right? Like we're just working and not really paying ourselves well. Like let's speak to that person for a little bit because that's a lot of my audience. I know it. Okay. So I have so many things to say to you. <laughs> Good. I'm trying to figure out where to start and, and still keep it short and to the point. The first thing I'd say is paying yourself is the most critical thing. You did not get into business to sacrifice both your time and your money because nine times out of 10, I'm guessing you are doing this for freedom. And if you are spending more money than you're making, and if you are spending more time than you're getting with your family, then you're sacrificing both of those. Now, again, that is not judgment. I don't believe there's one person listening who hasn't been down this road. Yeah, I know I've been down the road, but it's a huge, huge reminder. So how do you do that? And the way I suggest people do that is something I call an upside down budget. And this is a little tip you can kind of take with you. Basically, I say, okay, look at how much money you need to make to live the lifestyle that you want to live, that you're living now, say. And let's say that for somebody that is, you know, and I'm just picking numbers out of the air, $4,000 a month, pays their rent, pays their groceries, pays their utilities, pays kids clothes, whatever that is. And then maybe they have a spouse with more money or maybe who knows, whatever that is. Let's pretend it's $4,000 a month. Then I want you to say, think about the last 30 days, 60 days, especially now around the holidays, it's easy to do. And think of all those times you said, boy, if I could afford that, I'd get it. Or, boy, I'd love to do that, but it's too expensive. Or, yeah, I don't make enough money to do that. Think about what those things are that have kind of piqued your interest, but you haven't gotten them because of money. Okay. And now I want you to add those to your $4,000. Okay. Now I want to know what that number is. So say that gets it up to $10,000. Okay. We're going to say what we want ideally for you as the business owner is to be writing yourself from the business a check for $10,000. Okay. Then I'm going to say, okay, I got to write a check for $10,000 a month from the business. That does not mean all I have to do is get $120,000 worth of business for the year. The next step is to what are the expenses I have to pay in the business? You've got Zoom, you've got consulting, you've got these kind of groups, whatever there, and say those add up to a thousand dollars a month. Now I know I need ten thousand dollars to pay me, and I need a thousand dollars to pay my bills in the business. Therefore, I need to make eleven thousand dollars a month. Then and only then do I start thinking about what's my offering, what's its value, how do I price it, how do I pay for it. Mm-hmm. What you've done is even if you don't make that ten thousand dollars, which right out of the gate who of us does, right? Even if you don't make that ten dollars or $11,000, you've set an expectation for yourself and you've created something that says, oh, my business has to make this before it's even break even. Otherwise, we're calling it break even when we cover that $1,000 of expenses and we totally forget about paying ourselves. Yeah. So that to me is just the, the biggest piece of advice I can give is upside down budget. How much money do you need out of the business? Add the things you want to have in your life that you don't today. 
come up with that is that's what my business needs to send to me every month. Now build what you're going to sell on top of that. I guarantee you most of our listeners are not doing that. I think we get stuck in this like comparisitis or whatever we see. We're like, oh, she says she makes 10 or 20K a month being an ads manager. Like that's what I want. But they're not thinking about their own personal situation and life dreams and goals. This is the thing particularly frustrates me when you get into the rooms with a lot of these more bragging entrepreneurs. It's like, oh, I'm an eight-figure business. I'm a seven-figure business. I'm in the two-comma club. That's a revenue number, right? That's how much sales they're making. I have plenty of clients who make seven figures and pay themselves $10,000 and plenty of clients who make seven figures and pay themselves half a million dollars. That revenue number means nothing. It really means nothing unless it's covering all your expenses and paying you. So don't let those numbers intimidate you. There are plenty of seven-figure entrepreneurs who are flat broke. Yeah. And I've heard it too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it too. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs who look like they've got it together. And then you get in the back end of their business and they don't. And I don't know. I was actually just ranting with a friend about this this morning on Boxer. But not everybody is what it seems like. You see someone had a $500,000 launch, but you don't know the affiliates. You don't know the expenses, the ad spend, like the team's parts. The refunds, the money that's not going to come in because people never pay. It's $500,000 and maybe they've sold, you know, 50, I can't do math in my head. I should have said that, but 50, $10,000 things that they're going to pay over a year, but 90% of them don't pay. Yeah. You know, it's had a $50,000 launch. It's, and it's not that I want to take anything away from that because those numbers can feel good. And sometimes for some people, they're real, like it's real money that they get. But basically what I say is it's not a sale until the cash is in the door and it's not profitable until you've got however much money you want in your pocket. Yeah. And I will tell you, when I say it took three and a half years for me to get my business profitable, that's what I meant. I spent the first three and a half years doing exactly what I'm telling you not to do, not paying myself. Oh, you did? I wonder, I was going to ask, well, you know what I've done? Because I've been in business about the same time, maybe four years I've just been barely paying myself. I mean, I do the client work. It's supporting this like audience growing, different kind of business I'm growing. But like I have barely been paying myself. And I hate saying I had a $100,000 launch because one of my friends was like, oh, she's rich. I wish I had all her money. And I'm like, girl, (laughs) you don't know what I paid my team. You don't know about the fulfillment. This is going to go on for 12 weeks. You don't know what Facebook got. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know all the headaches, all the fears, all the risk uh, that goes into it. And I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I will (laughs) say that employee mindset and an entrepreneur mindset are very different and it's okay. They're both fine, but they're very different and they don't understand each other. Like entrepreneurs understand that you invest money, time, sweat, blood, fear, strength, weakness, every little ounce of you into this thing, hoping for a return, your chances are five out of a hundred, you'll get that return. And yet you still do it and you love it. And you do it again and again and again. And that's just not a very common (laughs) mindset in the world in general. I feel like there's this very hopeful, optimistic person, like part of me, that would never have it any other way. Like I just can't imagine doing this for someone else again, working this hard if I didn't have the stake. And it's kind of how we feel as service providers when we're helping our clients 
grow. Like we feel that passion. We just not have that affinity for risk or being public facing. Like a lot of us are entrepreneurs behind the scenes, but like we still love the the building of it. I call what we do finance friend in the foxhole because basically I climb in the foxhole. You do the same thing with my clients and or my team does and we do covering fire while they do what they need to do to execute their special sauce. Make sure there's no landmines. Make sure that they've got the money they need to do it. When there's a crisis, we all huddle up and figure it out. You know, that I think you're right. That's the key. And it's not that it's not fun. This is fun. Like crazy hard, but fun. (laughs) It is. It is. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about what else you wish, like a service provider is going along the path right now. They're like getting to the freelancer holy land, you know, like the holy land is where you're like premium rates, dreamy clients, and you haven't had to like create chaos with capacity, right? Like over capacity. But what else do you wish we would know? Because I know it's intimidating when you see like gross revenue, net income, like what do I need to be paying attention to? And it's crazy. Yeah. Here's what I would say to simplify it, right? As a first step, what I would always do is look ahead 12 months and and just pick a piece of paper. It doesn't have to be a spreadsheet. You can scribble it out on a piece of paper like this if you're not a, you know, a finance geeky person. And just say, if things go the best they possibly could based on what I'm going to do this year, what money will be coming in each month? And just pop it on a piece of paper across those columns. And what will it cost me to get that money each month? Scribble that across the columns. Don't worry about gross margin, cost of goods sold, variable fix. Just for now, first time out of the gate, what's the best that could happen? What are the costs I'm going to have if that happens? Then on the next piece of paper, put, okay, if things go okay, like, you know, if I do well, what will happen? What will be the money that comes in? What will be the money that goes out? And then the last one is if things go bust. So you got three sets of basically two numbers. Okay. What is best case income, best case expenses, and the difference. The next one is, meh, okay, good case income, good case expenses, and then the difference. And then the, wow, if things really don't go well, what's going to happen? The reason we do the bottom one is you want to establish a, okay, just in case I know that these expenses don't go away, even if things suck. So I have to be able to cover these expenses. That's my really number to know. That's the only reason we do it. Okay. Away, get it out of your manifesting eyesight and put it away. But you now know that number in your head. There's my minimum, you know, I've got to have it. I really suggest you have paying yourself in those expenses too. The best one, what I want you to do that is go through, okay, to do this now, who do I have to hire? When do I have to hire them? What things do I have to buy? When do I have to buy them? And start breaking it out a little bit. If you just do that exercise, if you take half an hour to just do that exercise, once at the beginning of the year, you've actually created a forecast. It's all it is. And then, you know, people talk about, oh, I have forecast models. And sure we do. But that's all a forecast is. But what that'll do is each month then, this now makes the numbers that you're going to look at because you have a bookkeeping system now. When you see that profit and loss statement and you look at the top revenue and the total expenses and the leftover number for each month, you can compare it to what you scribbled on that piece of paper. And you can say, hey, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm doing better than that. I'm doing a little worse than that. So you can start to make decisions about things you can do a little further down the road because you created yourself a telescope into what's going to happen. Now, are you going to be exactly right 
with that forecast? Heck no. But every month you'll be a little better at it because next month you'll look at the actual that happened and compare it to what you thought. And then you can update the next 12 months. So if you just do that, then you're setting yourself up to be able to make decisions a lot further ahead of time. So for example, say you do need to hire a coach and say it's going to take you two months to find them, one month to train them, right? And you know that's a three-month process. Now you can say, oh, I really can afford them in May. Things have been going like I thought they would. So I want to hire them in May. Shoot, it's February. I need to start now. Otherwise, you're the entrepreneur who gets to May and goes, I need somebody. It takes you three months to get them and you've lost all that revenue in the meantime. We see that a lot. We have the, I'm launching tomorrow. I need a VA or I need a marketing specialist. And it's never good. It's never good. I love that lead time. It can be, you know, literally when I do mine every year and I'm a geek, I love Excel. I scribble it on a piece of paper, three sets of the three rows. And then I rip the bottom one off because I never want to see it again. That's just a get a number that I know I can't be less than. Okay. And then I aim for the top case. Yeah. And then I make it in January, then February, then March. I'm like, okay, I'm in the top case. So I'm going to throw this next one away. And now I know this is where I'm heading. And if I make the middle case, I throw the top one away and go, this is where I'm heading. But then all those decisions, you can keep making them 12 months in advance. It's so cool because it takes worry off the plate. Yeah, I think you nailed that with worry. And it also drives, there's something like psychological that must happen that drives your your activities and what you do. And so, so many service providers kind of neglect the marketing and the prospecting that they need to do in their client. And I don't know how people word this quite right, but like where you're sitting at this month is because of what you did the month before. And so I think that will just kind of drive home the important sales activities rather than, I don't know, like, updating your LinkedIn bio for like the 12th time. Yeah, the easier things. It reminds me of when I used to look for jobs. I changed jobs two or three times in my corporate career once after having been let go. I mean, just we've all been through this stuff, right? So I love to be completely transparent about it. Once I got let go and I remember thinking, you know, when I got fired, I'm like, oh my God, I got fired. What the heck? And drove myself up route one and realized it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. But One of the things that somebody told me early on is you could sit behind your desk all day and just submit resumes, thousands of them, and you may get one offer. But if you go out there and meet people, if you go out there and build relationships, Mm -hmm. that's going to be the one that all of a sudden says, oh, I know so-and-so is looking for exactly what you do. And then you're in at the top. The resumes that are never looked at don't matter. But it took me a real mindset change to realize that those traditional things don't work. It's about adding value to people. Even when you think you can't add value, sometimes just the smile you have when you're meeting with somebody adds value to their day. Yeah. Like you value every day you wake up and come to the table. So don't ever feel like, well, I can't do anything for anybody. Yes, you can. Yeah. Sometimes it's a smile at them and say, hey, you, your stuff rocks. Yeah. Like being a pleasure to be around and being the hype woman. And yeah, and people want humans. Like the piece of paper is not so memorable, but whenever I've gotten jobs, it's like I got plugged in the community, got hired, and then instantly got scooped up to a better one. (laughs) Like we were just talking about temporary friends, but it's that whole like networking premise too. Oh my goodness. I have a couple like specific questions here when it comes to being, you know, a lot of our people are LLC or doing business as Will you talk to me about saving for things? I want to address like a SEP IRA. I want to address maybe paying kids in your business or I like these other ways your business can pay back. 
A lot yeah. of my people are in a situation where they are paying off debt. They're motivated to pay off debt or they're yeah. motivated to start a savings or college fund or a travel mm-hmm. fund. And it it can be a little bit of that free money. So I think I would like to paint that picture of like what else we could do. You don't need to spend $2,000 on another course. You don't have $30,000 to spend on a mastermind. So where do you go if you are in the messy middle of owning and running and operating a service-based business? You come to the Digital Marketers Workgroup. This is an exclusive membership that provides the training and the support and the job opportunities to get to the freelancer holy land, where you're working with dreamy clients, commanding premium rates, but you're not sacrificing your schedule and your time. You still have time with your loved ones. The Digital Marketers Workgroup can help you get there, especially if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're jockeying way too many clients and you need help really niching down and positioning yourself as the go-to expert. Get your applications in now for the workgroup because we are opening again at the end of March, beginning of April. When you join now, you'll get access to our brand positioning workshop and the Work With Me page writing workshop, both happening in April. We have amazing guest speakers coming throughout the summer. This is your time to really hone in on your business, prioritize your work instead of always bending over backward for your clients. The link to apply is below. We want your business set up. We want you confident in your client work, able to take on clients. Apply now and we'll be in touch. Back to the show. First thing is, this is a total disclaimer. I am not a tax expert. I am a CPA, but I don't do taxes. So this is not tax advice. This is not wealth management advice. This is vampires. So it always depends on what level you're on. So what I'll do is work my way up kind of from the bottom to the top of priorities that I would do with money that came available. And the first thing I would do, and and this is way oversimplifying, and you probably have some really sophisticated folks out there are going to be like, geez, Pam, that's obvious. Or no, you'd mix and match. And they're all sorts of, yes, do this, but things. But in general, the first thing I would do is pay off my highest interest debt, whatever that is. For a lot of folks, that is some of these forward AR contracts that they have where the interest rate is up to 38, 40, 50%. That's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is get registered any debt you have with the IRS. If you owe the IRS anything for taxes, you can go online and you can sign up for a payment program. So do that. If you got any debt from the IRS, that gets them out of the way and off your back. And you can make very small payments for a very long period of time if you do this. The only thing the IRS doesn't like is to be ignored. (laughs) Okay, good to know. (laughs) um, Get to where you can pay down your credit cards because that's a pretty high interest rate unless you have zero interest credit cards. Leverage those bad boys until the interest kicks in. That's free money in your pocket. Free money. The third thing is always think about all the expenses that you can charge to your business. And to your point, you know, you take a trip and on that trip, you do some social media marketing for your business. You do yourself in front of, you know, something in San Diego. You're out there marketing. You have a conversation about your business at dinner and you potentially get a client or a referral. That's a tax deductible thing. Now, that's been reduced to 50%, but neither here nor there. But think about everything you spend. And to the extent it has something to do with your business, it's a business expense. Now, again, not tax advice. Always consult your tax accountant for confirmation. The next thing I would do is like, so you've, you've expensed everything you can expense. You've paid yourself, number one, number two, and you're still profitable. 
Like that's the first year that you're like, oh crap, I'm going to have to pay a tax bill now. That's going to be significant. This is when you can start to look at some of the things that you talked about. And the first I would do is exactly what you suggested. There is the self-employment. Well, there's regular IRAs that you can do with personal stuff. In your business, you can do the self-employed pension or the, I forget what it stands for. It's not self-employed. It might be, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's a SEP and there's a limit to how much you can put in, but to the extent you put it in there and you don't need the money, okay, this is important. If you put it in there, you can't have it. There are some situations where you borrow from it, but if you take it out, there's a massive penalty to it, right? Just like your IRA, basically they charge you regular taxes at that point and a 10% penalty if you take it out before you're 65. So only do that when, if you got free cash, at the end of the day, you'll often hear people say, spend money because that'll be more expenses. I'm like, okay, yeah, like it's December now and people are like, oh, I'm going to go buy a $10,000 computer because that'll mean I have no profit and don't have to pay taxes. Well, their tax bill would have been 3000 and they don't need the computer. So now they've just spent $7,000 they didn't need to spend on something they don't need. <laughs> However, if there's something you're planning to get soon, yeah. And you can slap it on a credit card before December 31st. Do it. Okay. If you need it and you're going to get it anyway. And you know, you'll be able to pay the bill when it comes due. And we're in a profitable business now. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Get it now because you might as well get that deduction early. So that's good, solid advice. Okay. But don't spend money to spend money. And then after the SCP, then you're getting up into some of the territory that is more fancy tax things. And like I said, I don't know them all. I just know the ones I've seen work for my clients through the people I do taxes with. Yeah. One is what's called key man insurance. I know it should be called key person insurance, but it's not. <laughs> it's insurance policy on you as the business owner in case something happens to you that you can then, it, it'll pay for the business. In okay. some cases, key man and or life insurance can be set up. You actually contribute premium to those and in some cases, you can borrow from them. So you don't lose the money forever, but it is an expense that's tax deductible. Okay. Other thing people do is set up what's called captive insurance companies, but that's really not something you're going to look at till you're in the millions of tax dollars. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, the big thing I say is if you do have cash, don't leave it all in your business. Because you want to diversify, right? Now, when you start to have profit over and above what you're paying yourself, you're building wealth. Once you're building wealth, you want to get that diversified into some other things. Because your business is going to be the highest risk thing you invest in. Okay. Because it's paying your salary. It's a business, so it's risky by nature. So if the cash is building up, get it out of there and put it in some more secure stuff. Or more aggressive stuff, if that's the kind of investor you are. Okay. Because you want spread it across things that are different levels of risk and that respond to the economy differently. Like some things go up when interest rates go up, some things go down when interest rates go up. So you want to get it spread across those kind of things. Can you do mutual funds in your business name? Is that what you're saying? Can you do that? Or are you just talking about like I a deal? your business altogether. I would distribute it from the business once you're at this point. Oh, to yourself. Okay. Okay. I was like, oh, I didn't know about that. Okay. No wonder. All right. I'm following. <laughs> you can, but I would distribute it to yourself. And at that point, when that's happening, you definitely want to talk to a tax planner. And I want to make sure people understand the difference between somebody who does your taxes and a tax planner. Oh, yeah. A lot of people know they need to get their taxes filed. And a lot of us just have somebody who files our taxes. And that's good at first. 
once you're building wealth, once your business is making more money than it's giving you, that's when you want to get a tax planner because those are the people who look at it and what they want to do is three things. They want to not pay tax on as much as they can. They want to defer the tax on the next round of stuff and they want to minimize the tax on the rest. So they have all these plans and ideas and thoughts that keep up with the current law, which is why I'm not a tax accountant. <laughs> They'll tell you, okay, here's the stuff you can do or not do. So you want to have someone like that you're talking to during the year because there's some stuff you're going to, like for all my clients right now, we're doing like massive amounts of December stuff because for all my clients, we've gone back to the tax planner and said, what do we need to do to minimize this year's tax bill legally, ethically? Yeah. And these are the four things for your this client. These are the four things for this client. So that's why I know, I know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah. But that's, that's not a recommendation. The but biggest thing I could say is talk to a tax planner if you're building up extra money. Well, thank you. That's good. Sometimes just like getting the quick like bird's eye view of like what's possible is helpful. It's really motivating to know that you can get your money doing that. And honestly, what I'm picking up that you're putting down is like it takes effort. It takes attention. It takes planning. You don't just December 31st, like slap it together. <laughs> or worse, what, what usually happens, not worse. I don't mean to judge it that way. Worse for the person who's done this, like for them emotionally, is they don't think about it till April 15th. And then it's way, way too late. There are some tax things you can still do as late as April 15th too. Yeah. So, you know, it's not all December, but a lot of it is December. We'll have another rush like this come March 15th for some businesses and April for others. But contributions to charities, if you're going to give to a charity, and this again, not tax advice, it's what I think I know, but check with your tax person. Donate from you personally, because you personally have, like there's not a minimum amount so you can take the full deduction. I don't know that you can take a charitable deduction as a business expense. Oh, okay. But just avoid it. Just distribute it to yourself and pay it as a personal donation. Yeah, that's a lot. And I know a lot of that is above and beyond where people are, are now. And the cool thing that I love about you getting this out to your audience now is people get there. You called yourself an accidental entrepreneur. There are a lot of accidental entrepreneurs out there. And people get to that point. We all struggle in the early years, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the first year, you make money. You're like, wow, I've made money. One of two things happens either, where is it? I know I made it. It's gone. <laughs> or, yay, I made money. Oh, shit. I don't have the cash to pay my tax bill. Mm-hmm. So, by getting this into their heads now, you're doing the best thing you possibly could for your audience. And I really applaud you for that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It gets you to become the person that that is that thing for, number one, number two, but it, it won't take you by surprise. When it takes people by surprise, it can really hurt after you've done all that work. Yeah. I mean, I love this conversation so much because I'm not always someone who uses money in my marketing, like we were kind of talking about, but I love money. I love making money. And I remember when I first started freelancing after my baby break, I was only bringing in Pam 200 a month and it was freaking freedom. It was so much freedom to me and to know that I had the ability to go out and just generate more. Changing feeling, isn't it? Change my life. Like change mm-hmm. my life. Give myself options. The fun that came with that. I do like to spend. I, you know, I like to put my you know, kids in activities. I like to travel, right? You know? So no, I I fly first class, man. It's what we do this for, you know? Yeah. Some people feel guilty about money. Can we talk about that for a second? Like, I know some of my students 
They're stuck in this place. And this is probably like the meat of what they need to hear right now. They're stuck in this place of undercharging, feeling guilty about charging. We see how our clients are not really making a lot of money and we soak that in as empaths and make it our problem. So give it to me. (laughs) There's so many things here. I will try to keep it short and sweet. The first thing of all is I'm guessing that your listeners and your clients are very similar to us in, in being good hearted, wonderful people who want to make positive change in the world. The more money you make, the more positive change you can make in the world, right? So the more money I have funnel into me, the more I can distribute out to the things that matter to me. For me, it might be my family, my church, my causes, my dogs. For you, it might be a a trip to the Bahamas. It doesn't matter what that is. There's no judgment, right? But if you don't have that wealth, you can't have that influence in the world. It takes money to make change. And think about this is what I tell a lot of entrepreneurs when they get to that seven figure level and they really have a lot of money and maybe they get a house manager and maybe they get a personal assistant and maybe they all of a sudden have an entourage around them, a driver, a this and that. And I say, look, what you're doing is building an economy for these people. You're not actually ripping anybody off. You have more responsibility to make money because you are now helping the livelihoods of people, giving them jobs in a whole new way with respect, with pride in what they do, with opportunity to grow, with all the stuff you may not have had or so many people don't have in corporate or working for other people. You're able to build this ecosystem now. And if you constrain yourself from getting that money, you constrain your ability to influence. The flip side of this, I will tell you, the only reason I can be so firm about this is I've made the mistake over and over and I still make it at least three or four times a year. (laughs) I go ahead and undercharge for my services at least two or three times a year. Every time, no exception, every time, it's the worst client for me and they don't get the value. If there's anything you take away from this podcast, no. That if you don't charge people what you're worth, and I have a whole video on this on YouTube that I can give you the link yeah. that you can put in here. It's about how to come up with the value you're adding to your plan, how to price your services. If you don't let them pay you for the value, they won't take advantage of it. They won't get it. You won't do them any good. So you're charging them less for less value. Now, all that said, there's no judgment about what price you charge, right? Because For somebody, the right price might be $300. For somebody, it might be $3,000 for what they consider to be the same thing. One is just further along. And what I would tell you is always test yourself. In fact, I'm about to go tell my wife, who's a life coach, she's been charging a certain amount for her stuff. She started at about half that. And I'm going to say, look, on your next call, you don't have to have that client, right? You're at the point now. Actually, what I said was, tell me what you think your next level of charge would be. Now, tell me, do you think you're worth that? She's like, oh my God, I'm worth absolutely they get a lot out of it. I said, cool. Now double that number in your head. Now double it again. And I said, the next client you talk to, that's the price I want you to give them. Next one, I don't care who it is. Try it. Not because it might sell that client. You know, maybe it is the wrong person coming out of the word, but it's changing who you are in the conversation Mm -hmm. because now two things are happening. Two are, this is my price and I'm really good, starts to come across. 
And that creates an amazing amount of FOMO, by the way, if you know you're worth what you're saying. And then the second is that you live into it in the confidence level that you're talking about. Like you become that person by saying it just even that once. And then the next time, you know, cut it back down in half or whatever, but play that game with it until you become the person that is selling that for what you know it's worth. And then I'll give you the link to this video so you can figure out what it's worth. People do these like hourly rate calculations in this video, why that should be blown up and never allowed back on the planet again and how to actually think about it with drawings and everything. It's not even with a spreadsheet. It's with a whiteboard and drawings. I show you this. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. We'll link to that in these show notes. So thank you. I love that advice. I love that. I, I teach my students also to stair step it and like, okay, you got one client at that rate. Let's add to the hourly. A lot of them are at hourly or the project. Like you add to it every time and like you start to convince your body and yes. you believe in yourself. When you come in that situation you're talking about with your wife, like she's in a place where she's booked out and she can be choosy and that's like such a sweet spot. Like it's not to be that. It's to say, this is what it's worth. Yeah. And we start to attract people who can afford it. Guess what? Here's the thing. Let me just throw this into because I know a lot of people are like, oh, they can't afford it. I know their business model. I have to give it to them cheaper. It's a no, because here's the thing. If you get the people to you who can pay them more, then you can give scholarships to the people you want to help who can't afford you. But again, you controlling your ecosystem instead of your ecosystem limiting you from giving anything else away to the world. Oh, I love that. Right. So go get those high price clients and then serve 20 people who can't afford it for free. I will argue that they won't engage, but that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> but it gives you your freedom to do the things you want to do. Yeah. Trapped in somebody else's business model. Right now, you're trapping yourself in your client's business model. Yeah. What do we do if we know our client's not really making money, though? Like, I mean, there's this whole weird thing in this online space where we just talked about people aren't as profitable. I know we need a strong boundary here, but it makes it hard. It makes people feel bad and then do work for free. Yeah, it does make people do that. And and here's what I say. I actually ask people, hey, this is what it's going to cost. And, and in my particular business, I'm able to say, because they tell me their financials, I'm able to see and say, you know, the value of this is such and such. It's not something your business can afford right now. Here's what I do recommend for you. Mm -mm. Now, not everybody's in a position to be able to do that. In my first three years, I couldn't do that, right? So what I would suggest is if you have that feeling that tells you this person should not be buying from me, yeah, test it first. Is it your insecurity or is it their real situation? They have decided that what you sell is worth it to them, right? Mm -hmm. So give them free is not an option. So give them the real price and you'll see from this video, they'll decide if it's worth that much and it may be worth that much, but they can't do it today. Yeah, that happens a lot. But if you give it for a lot less than that, because you know their situation, you're you're tying yourself to that level of client kind of forever because you can't go and expand your marketing or your reach or go to the events where you're going to meet the clients who can pay more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how I frame that up. It, the best hearted people, I think, have some of their actions it's because we were taught as kids these particular things that have stuck with them for life 
and they were they're they're wrong things like it's greedy to have money it's absolutely the opposite the more money you have the more generous you can be and all that this is a saying our parents had like there's nothing it's nothing more than words that we heard it's no more real saying that having money is greedy is no more real than having money is let you be generous it's just words and we just happened to have grown up with these words and they were implanted in our subconscious before we were even seven years old and could filter them out. Ooh, one of them I had just heard yesterday from a student was, it's easy for me. I'm good at, like, almost like holding herself back, self-sabotaging. Like, I shouldn't be allowed to charge this because it's too easy. Why isn't this easy for everyone else? Like, I can't do that. And I kind of had a little talk with her about, the fact that this is actually not a natural talent for everybody. And like you just said, somebody values what you're doing and they need you and they choose you. Like don't this is don't. What the video is about. This is okay. what oh, perfect. this spot on that very thing. I was like, oh boy, they said that to you. I bet you helped them out of that. <laughs> well, and I've also been there. I mean, I don't have any amazing like mindset training or anything behind me, but I also know I've been there and I've struggled with that. It's so well intended. Yeah. You're in a power seat. It's well-intended and it ends up having exactly the opposite effect that you plan to have with your life in this world. When you limit your ability to shine your light like that, you constrain yourself. It hurts you. So if you're thinking by not charging a lot, I'm giving back more, it's really the opposite. You know, start to think of it upside down. The more I charge, the more I can do for all these people I want to help. Yeah. I get it that everybody wants to help people, whoever they are, family, friends, institutions, you know, countries. Hold that, but don't let your intentions think really hard about whether your actions are actually supporting what your real intention is. Oh my gosh, I love that. Okay, let's talk about your freebie because you have a pricing calculator. Can you tell me about that? What it does is it takes you through exactly what I cover in the video and pictures. It's a little spreadsheet that lets you figure it out for you. It okay. figures out what your hours cost you and it figures out what your value is to your client. Ooh. And then it shows you the range of prices and how to choose where on that range you want to pick. Okay. It's a very, very cool calculator. It's gotten a lot of, I would say 99% of our email list has come from that calculator We've gotten a lot of feedback that it's been very useful. That's awesome. Well, thank you. You've shared some amazing resources today, and I cannot wait to dive into some of those. I have a couple of questions to wrap it up. But before, because I am all about expanding our network, tell us what kind of clients you're looking for. So if we're working with someone at the level who's ready for you, tell me a little bit about your offer and what type of client so we can keep our people in mind. Wow, that's very generous. Thank you so much. So our clients range, quite honestly, from $100,000 in revenue all the way up to eight figures. And I have a staff of bookkeepers that I pay really, really well because I have some really high standards for bookkeeping. And we've actually had it trademarked. It's the profit concierge method of bookkeeping. So no matter what level of our services you're using, you're getting a really high caliber of service. And most notably, you're getting stuff that makes sense to you and a human helping it make sense to you and leverage it, right? So our very minimum cost is $750 a month. And we go up to, you know, whatever, depending on the eight-figure client. That's bookkeeping. Okay. But then we also have uh, CFO coaching. 
So that's with me or with one of my CFOs to help you think about your business differently. We'll provide you tools and materials. We, you have unlimited access to us for questions. And it's kind of like a little mini CFO in your pocket, but we don't do it for you. We coach you on how to be that person or hide that person or have that skill set, which some entrepreneurs, that's all they need is just a little bit of finance knowledge, not a whole body to be there. And then I have fractional CFO services, which basically means for another number of companies, we're literally their CFO, um, but they don't need a whole CFO full time. Mm-hmm. So they hire us to be a part-time role and we fill all the traditional CFO roles there around really anything that has to do with the money in your business, your wealth, et cetera. So it's all entrepreneurs, all small business owners. I don't do any work for people who work for small business owners. Like I don't work for a COO or whatever, but we will work with business owners at any of those levels. Okay, cool. I know some of us are working with those types of clients who are ready for you at that. Like, appreciate that. So yeah, thank you. Okay. I have two questions for you. I'm trying to ask every guest. I think you're really primed to answer this first one because you were just saying, you know, you're very clear on the type of clients you're looking for. What's something that you ask in your intake form that helps you vet clients? And now I'm like curious from the money angle. It never has anything to do with their money. Really? No. A question I always ask clients is what is your biggest pain point around your finances? Because that's what I want to know. That will usually tell me in about five minutes where they are and whether it's a technical problem or a mindset problem. Okay. If it's a technical problem, we're all in. I don't worry about it. Here's what we can do, et cetera, if it fits for them. If it's if we're more expensive than they need, I will tell them, oh, here's what you need. Let me go get you so-and-so. Or not even if they're more expensive than what they need. If somebody could do it better, then I can do it. I get a lot of calls where people need tax help. And I basically say, oh, let me introduce you. Let me get a picture of your story, and then I'll figure out which tax person to introduce you to. Okay. I don't referral fees or anything. We just we all like each other and help each other. Yeah. So, so that's kind of one thing. But if it's a mindset issue, then I spend the rest of the call deciding whether they're ready to become the person they need to become to have the outcome they want. Mm. And that becomes pretty obvious also in that first five minutes, but then I can ask a couple of other questions. And usually it's around things like, tell me about the software you use in your business. And a lot of times what you'll get here is, oh, yeah, I, I use QuickBooks Desktop and my current bookkeeper is, you know, 90-year-old John Smith and what he says goes and I've always trusted him. Blah, blah. This is not a person who wants to change. Somebody who says, you know, I really don't know. I haven't understood my reports that I've gotten forever and I'm not really loving tech, but sure, if that's the right answer, I can get that. Like you really get a feel for that. What I've stopped doing, in fact, I literally had a sales call this week where like I almost fired him before I hired him and I was stunned because I really lectured. I basically said, you don't want to change. I can hear it right now. I said, I will tell you that the only way I can do this is if you're a different person at the end than you are right now. And here are the things that would be different. And I hear that those are things you don't want to change. So I don't think we can help you. Called back two days later and said, you know what? You're right nobody's ever talked to me kind of that bluntly before, but you're right. I'm my own sabotage. So that's somebody I'll work with. Ah, have you Um, seen Better Call Saul? Like there's a scene in there with Kim Wexel 
She's a lawyer, kind of. I'm going to send you the link because she kind of does that little move on him. And I shared it with my unicorns. I'm like, that was badass. But she's basically like, you're not going to listen to me. Go hire somebody else. And he's like, I'll see you Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean for it to like come out like that. But I literally hung with the phone and went, wow, that was bordering rude. (laughs) It wasn't. But I basically said, I can't help you. You know, and it wasn't because his finance were so, were so far gone. And I will tell this to your yeah. clients. Yeah. I've never seen a financial situation that was so far gone, it couldn't be salvaged or fixed or, or whatever. Like I said, everybody thinks they've got the worst story. They never do. I have seen a mindset that I know I'm not going to be effective with. And that's the ones that I need to screen out. No one has ever phrased an intake question like that. And I never thought about the technical because we're kind of looking for the red flags. I never thought about screening it like that. And the language you just gave us, we can massage. And I see people using that with their current clients, (laughs) quite frankly. So thank you. Okay. My second question for you is, how are you using AI in your business? Oh my God. I'm so excited about this. I can't even tell you. So first of all, I take no credit for it. The guy who does my podcast and all my social media stuff is a junkie. And he like is like a sponge. You throw the two letters AI at him and he has been just diving in knee deep. Like he has gone so far as to recreate my own voice, dictating something that I've written. Now we don't use it yet because he's not happy with the quality. And I don't know if I'll ever use it, but the tools like I I should have him it's Francis, who I think you may have talked to. So you may want to ask him this and then you can tell your people it, the stuff okay. He's using software that does everything. For me. He takes my podcast. He runs the script through one of them. He runs the audio through another one. It automatically edits it down into the podcast, puts our intro on, puts our outro on, gives him then a whole social media set of things to post, writes a blog, creates a lead magnet or tells you what lead magnet to create, gives you a bunch of ideas. Like he's written these prompts that he just drops in when I do a podcast and boom, out comes like a year's worth of content. So that's the biggest one. Yeah. I decided that I'm going to use it for a little project that I may be doing like a little mini podcast on, but I haven't even told my podcast producer. <laughs> you said this will be the pilot episode where I've created an Excel-based model spreadsheet and I'm going to do it in Google where people can keep track of their time for two weeks and then analyze. I was telling you this is what I do quarterly Uh and it charts graphs of two things. One is how much they should delegate, how much they should keep, how much they should do more of, but also what is the work? Was it task? Was it strategic? Was it personal? Was it sleep kind of things? And it draws Uh little graphs for them and then we'll summarize for them all those activities and they can then go through and go, oh, I got to delegate these. They're all D's. Like it's a really cool little program I'm writing for myself because I'm a geek. Yeah. I wasn't going to sell it. But now I'm actually using AI to create marketing for it. Give me a title for it. And I'm just using chat GPT. Like if Francis knew I was doing this, which he will now because he'll listen to the podcast. He'll be like, Pam, give this to me. I can do it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. And just chat GPT and prompts. If it works, it'll create everything for me. The ads, the creative, the audience, everything. I'll run the ads on Facebook and see if the thing sells. Oh my gosh. Well, that goes so well with what like some of these books out there that like want you to like time track. I'm like, you could sell that to them and it could actually help their audience because that's such like a a heavy lift for me to go in and like toggle things. And if it were like 
on my iPhone. I mean, that would be really cool. I love it. Reading input fields for you. So you can just like hit a button and select the thing. This is what I'm doing now. And hit, you know, and there are things out there that do it, but not that then break it down into the different types of work like this and have charts. Yeah. And I like the what to do after data. Yeah. I give Alex Scharfing credit because I've modeled it on her. I've the inspiration for it came from he has this manual sheet where you do that okay. all by hand. You keep track of your 15 minutes and you add it up yourself and automating that. And then I'm like, oh, this could be really cool. Yeah. Maybe I don't have an app where you can just push a button, but maybe somebody is geeky enough to keep Google Sheets up all day and just fill the stuff in. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so fun to hear about. And so what I hear yeah. is AI is giving you the freedom to like pursue this passion slash business venture. I don't know, like different <laughs> revenue stream. Yeah. yeah just throw in a few prompts and whenever yeah. I get time, I'll play with it and I will be able to do it. The creative's better. Like I'll just put in, look, I want this to sound punchy and be five words and say this. Yeah. Give me 12 options and outcome 12 things. Usually I don't use one of them, but one of them sparks an idea. Exactly. Even like, oh, now I've got it. It's this thing. And I would have spent days waiting for inspiration or whatever, whereas now I don't have to do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, this has been so fun, Pam. Tell everyone where we can connect with you and then follow you because you'll be publishing a book soon. I am. There will be much more about that. So I'm on all social media as Pam S. Pryor, except TikTok where I'm Pam Pryor. So <laughs> I also have a website that's pampryor.com. There's all sorts of opportunities to get stuff from our YouTube and all that, all the other stuff that we have out there is available there too. And if you reach out with a contact form, somebody on our team would definitely get back to you. So Pam S. Pryor on all social media to see my animals, my three doggies, my cat, <laughs> and me doing financy stuff. In red. Yeah. <laughs> to everybody who put some of these, as we've talked about, into play for 2024. Brand new year, guys. Four years out from the start of COVID. Such an exciting time in all these worlds of finance and crypto and Web3 and so many opportunities. So go kick butt in 2024. That's what I have to say. Woohoo. Thanks for coming, Pam. Thank you. I love being here. Thanks, Pam, for being on the show. I hope you all loved it. If you could do us a favor and tag Pam, Pam's prior on Instagram and me in your stories. Tell us what you're doing while you're listening. Start building your network one DM, one Instagram tag at a time. And let us know what your biggest aha was today. And I invite you to join us next week where we'll go a little bit deeper into some of the bookkeeping angles. Now, here's the thing. I brought Pam on here because she might just be your client's next hire. It might be the person they need to bring onto their team to help them get situated so they can have a profitable business. So you're not feeling guilty with every invoice you send. So you're not feeling guilty that they're not hitting their goals because there's so much of that that is actually your client's responsibility and not your stress point, okay? I'm gonna recommend a couple other podcasts I have related to money that I would love for you to check out. One is about making sure you're charging for clients, especially friends, so you don't undermine your credibility when you do things for free. And so go listen to that one. It's episode 137, Why You Must Always Charge for Your Services. We also have some good episodes on 
One, raising your rates as a virtual assistant. I'll link to that one below. Going from hourly to project rates, which we just recently did. We also have a money mindset coach. I think you might find this one interesting. It's with Chelsea Brennan. That's episode 107. Definitely listen to that because we all have a money thing we're working on. And then how to raise your rates as a virtual assistant, that one too. Okay, so lots of good money stuff. I try to give you all the tools you need here on this podcast to get your business going. But the truth is you might need to be offering exceptional services and you might need to be diving more into marketing projects, tasks, and services. And if so, I'm your girl. I teach the marketing side of the work that you do. I'm a practitioner. It's the same work I've done for years. And so if that interests you, if you know that you want to be more on the profitable side, the value-based side when it comes to offering projects that your clients will value and pay more for, marketing is it. I encourage you to check out my UDMA school. That's the Unicorn Digital Marketing Assistant School. We have a self-study open right now. It will help you master email marketing, funnel building, everything from UTM links to Metapixels, landing pages. We cover SEO, blogging, website updates, WordPress, Elementor, Kajabi, ActiveCampaign, ConvertKit, the things you need to know to be able to be a marketing assistant and help your clients implement their marketing strategy. Doesn't mean you do all the things. It just means you're able to help with a couple of their goals within the marketing department. Go check out the self-study below in the show notes. All right, next week, we get into bookkeeping and taxes and write-offs and how much can you actually write off when you take that client to lunch. I'll see you next week. If you want to start earning income as a digital marketing service provider or digital marketing assistant, you only need your laptop. You can tap into what online business owners really need help with by downloading my top 10 most requested tasks. These are the services I did for years for my clients behind the scenes. You can take this download and apply it to your own business and start by offering these very same services. If you want to niche down in digital marketing, this is your guide. Just use the link in the show notes or go to emilyreaganpr.com slash services. Was Gilbert the cat? <laughs> There's Gilbert. You can't see him, but he is petting with you right here. He's insisting on head pets. <laughs> oh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, me totally lost your screen. I can't <laughs> anymore. My I'm here. Cat- I'm here. I'm not a cat. My cat laid on the keyboard, and you disappeared. And now I honestly can't see you anywhere. There you are. You're back. Sorry. <laughs> so um, I even lost track of what I was saying. That went so crazy, but um. Hi, Gilbert. <laughs> your, I have to stop you. Your cat literally is like reaching up to your mouth and you just like didn't miss a beat. You're and you're not petting me. That He's like, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>